Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Today is Sunday, December 3rd, 2017. What have you been into this week? What have I been into? Well, I'm about a quarter into Oathbringer, and I've been reading a lot. This book is long, 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 long. So far, it's pretty good. It's a bit of a slow burn, as I think, you know, a third book in a 10-book series might tend to be. <laughs> I think the second book was particularly climactic, so we're kind of on the, you know, regroup and build up to the next big thing for a little bit, so. Hmm. But I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I wonder what the accepted kind of story arc for 10 parts is. If you think, you know, if you got your trilogy, it, you know, you're, you've got your setup and then your conflict as book two and then your resolution in book three, um, I guess the, the 10 part arc follows a slightly different shape. Yeah, I, I can imagine it does. And, I, you know, I try to think about other big things and there's not really an arc, <laughs> I guess. But so I've been reading that and uh, I watched The Punisher. Mm-hmm. Which I think we're going to save discussion for for another time. Sure. And then I actually started watching Runaways. Yeah. Hulu keeps trying to convince me that that's a show I should watch. Do you agree with Hulu? Mm. <laughs> so I, I like it. I think it's fun. I think it's a little goofy. I think you would not like it because mm. it's a lot of that teens written as, it's you know, not quite teens that I think that would really gall you constantly mm -hmm. uh, there's some pretty good special effects and some pretty horrific special effects uh, i was watching it with shay and there's there's just i won't spoil it because it's kind of a surprise but there's something that happens she's like oh my god that looks like garbage and it's like yep that's real bad but the kids are charming and i know it's a really beloved you know run of comics i have a couple friends that are super into it so um but we're you know we're sitting there last night and we're watching it and we had nothing to do last night and we just we had a one credit class this weekend that was like 10 hours straight so we're just like let's just veg for a while and we're sitting there finish episode four let's watch the next one nope <laughs> all right because hulu doesn't give you everything at once because they're assholes <laughs> oh yeah those monsters so and i have to wait but it's one of those things where it's like i don't really want to wait i might just lose interest if i have to wait if i can just binge it i might be able to get through it but so I, I am sad that I actually didn't get to watch uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. season five premiered on Friday night. And everyone's like one of those, you know, two episodes smushed together kind of premieres. And everyone is saying that it's awesome and amazing. So I'm a little sad I haven't watched that yet. But I plan to do that this week. That's about it. Well, it sounds like you've had a full week. A bit. Yeah, it's been busy. I guess, you know, you're pretty busy, too. Now, looking at you now, though, you don't look so busy. You're all lounging by the fireplace. <laughs> So yes, so we just moved to our new uh, our new house in uh, the Annapolis area, and I haven't really fully set up my podcast zone yet. Um, we're still unpacking. You know, today's Sunday. We were actually moving on Friday, so we're still unpacking boxes and figuring out where everything goes. Haven't really worked out the podcast space, but. Um, you know, came down to the to the living room tonight and said, "You know what? I've got my, I've got my big leather chair. I've got my roaring fireplace. <laughs> I'm gonna set up my microphone in this little uh, in this little zone, and I've got a I've 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 got my my whiskey and <laughs> my fireplace, <laughs> and uh, you know the chair. I'm 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 in a reclined position." is probably not great for my voice because it compresses my diaphragm so i'm not going to have that booming great presenter voice that i'm so well known for 
But uh, yeah, I'm in a very relaxed position, which is probably ideal for tonight's topic because you really did the heavy lifting on this one. Um, being being that it is kind of Star Wars month, we're about well, less than two weeks away from The Last Jedi, you've decided to make good on your threat from early on in the podcast and explain to me what went on in the Star Wars expanded universe before Disney came in and declared all of it bullshit non-canon. Yes. And may I say that I am I am in disbelief that the next Star Wars movie comes out in two, less than two weeks. I was talking to somebody at work and they're like, oh, aren't you, you know, making plans or something. And they're like, well, aren't you going to go see Star Wars that night? I'm like, yeah, it's like, that's like a month or two away. They're like, no, it's, you realize it's December, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, it is. So I'm, I'm actually really excited because I feel like I just haven't really like seen or consumed much of the, the like the media hype for this, for this movie. So I've been so busy with like superhero stuff, I guess, that I just like kind of just snuck up on me. So I'm kind of going in a little, a little cold and I, I like it. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm just going to go in and just kind of see this Star Wars movie. I, 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 truthfully, honestly, I think the last time I saw Last Jedi was, or not Last Jedi, Force Awakens was when it came out in theaters. I might have caught like part of it on a plane or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, at some point, but. Yeah, and I, I haven't been reading up on, like, spoilers and hints and pouring over every trailer. I'm just like, I, it's going to be a Star Wars movie. I want to see it. Let's go. And I just kind of want to, like you say, go in cold. I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. But, Greg, that's two weeks away, and we have a lot to catch up on before we can get to that point. <laughs> so this is so this is the – you're going to tell me about the expanded universe, which is, you know, all the stories where, like, Boba Fett – Gets a girlfriend, and <laughs> Chewbacca like throws an office Christmas party, right? Yeah, you've nailed the two most important stories. <laughs> so, but first to talk about this, Greg, we're gonna have to go back. We're gonna go back in time. Let me take you on a a time story, a story many many years ago. I mean, you probably already retired by this point, but I was just a wee little Andrew living with uh, my mother, and my sister at my grandmother's house after a pretty grueling divorce. I loved nerdy stuff. Um, my mom worked a lot, so I didn't get a lot of time to see her. But one of the things that we shared together was that she really liked Star Wars. Her dad took her to see Star Wars when it came out in theaters because he was a fan. And like many good parents, uh, she wanted to read to me before bed sometimes. You know, late in the night, she'd get home and I'd wait up for her and she'd read to me sometimes. And she found this book. I'm going to get this book for you. So I forgot to get it before we started. One second. Now, now while you go and search your library, I just want the record to show that you have pulled a very clever trick here. And by associating the Star Wars Expanded Universe with a difficult time in your life and a bit of mother-son bonding during a strenuous family moment, you have made it very, very difficult for me to shit on this, which was kind of my whole plan. Don't worry. There'll be plenty of time for that. I just wanted to frame it in the context to manipulate your, mani your emotions and everyone else's emotions. But uh, yeah, so she got this book and hold up the camera. Can you see that? Okay. This is Han Solo at Star's End. Yeah, this is an old one. This is uh, 1979. Um, they didn't make many books back then. Um, and this book isn't particularly good. Many, many Star Wars books. Many Star Wars books. Yes, they made plenty <laughs> of other books. <laughs> but uh, 
you know, she'd read it to me. And I mean, I'm sure I didn't pick up on any of it. I just remember being like, oh, it's Star Wars. It's fun. And then eventually she started buying me other Star Wars books. Now, I was little. I couldn't read adult novels yet because well, I was like seven. And, you know, a four or five hundred page book written for at least probably like a high teenage reading level I couldn't get through. So I sort of started accumulating books because the covers looked cool or at least cool to a six year old. They don't really look that cool now. <laughs> but anyway, I, I accumulated quite a collection and then I started trying to read them a little bit. But, you know, like when you're reading and put that in like air quotes, like and you don't really pick up on it. Right. Like you, you're reading the words, but it's not really connecting in your head because you're, you're you're too young to get some of the context clues and put stuff together. And a lot of the vocabulary is a little tough. You understand what I'm saying? That, that was experience sure, you ever sure, had. Sure, sure. So, yeah, that was a lot of my early childhood of like holding a Star Wars book in front of me and looking at it, but not actually reading it. But anyway, let's fast forward to about fourth grade where I could actually read adult novels at this point. And from that point on, I basically was consistently reading Star Wars novels until early college. I probably never was not reading a Star Wars book. So what changed in college? Well, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. But so for me, I wanted to want to talk about the Star Wars expanded views provided for me at first. Then we'll get into the details, the nitty gritty, every plot twist. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so what it provided for me, the first really deep immersive genre experience and like defines a lot of my interest now. It was pulpy and a varying quality for sure, but it developed in me a taste for like the big, a taste for learning a lot about something and having it pay off as the world continued to expand over the next you know 20 years. And it also provided a consistent and reliable escape. There was always another Star Wars book waiting for me around the corner, uh, you know, until the point where I was caught up, a pretty much high school or early college at that point. So do you wanna learn more about this, Greg? <laughs> of course I do. All right. I want you to think this whole time about some questions you have. If you have particular like interest of the Star Wars lore that you want to pick my encyclopedic knowledge of the old non Star Wars expanded universe. <laughs> no. Uh, so this is the most made up of made up Star Wars nonsense, because now, I, even though uh, all of Star Wars is made up nonsense, this is now the stuff that doesn't even really count. Correct. <laughs> it is no, none of the things are no longer true within the context of Star Wars. Right. So all right. I figure the first thing I should answer for everyone is what is the Star Wars expanded universe? And from here on out, I'm going to refer to it as the EU, because that is what us Star Wars nerds call it. So this refers to it's a collective term for all the official extra media set in the Star Wars universe from 1977 until the Disney purchase in 2014. It predominantly includes, but is not limited to books, TV, comics, and video games. After the Disney purchase, this became known as Star Wars Legends. Hate it, hate it, hate it. <laughs> uh, um, but in this episode, I'm going to focus mostly on the books and the comics. Like the games were there and part of it kind of, but like video games are a whole different topic and... I'd rather just talk about that some other time. <laughs> but so the interesting thing about the EU is that it was a really well-controlled canon. So it had input from Lucasfilms and even Lucas himself stepped in at points. And some of these are confirmed, some rumors and said, you know, like you can or can't do this or you have to do this or this is off limits or no, you can't kill that character or you have to kill this character. You know, some of it's like Internet rumors, but there's also some things where like he definitely got involved. Hmm. Uh he also, you know, what I always thought was interesting, I didn't realize at a time because I was like a kid and didn't understand how licensing and politics of media rules worked, but 
he also like incorporated a lot of low hanging fruit from the EU into like the prequels when they came out. So character cameos, like planet species, the most important being like Coruscant. That was something that was made up in 1991. Huh. And that wasn't something that came from him. It came from, you know, Star Wars books. And that was the capital of the galaxy. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to have a capital of the galaxy. That's a city planet, which was big existence. So I'm going to call it the same thing. So there was like, it was like a best effort, I think, to try and make this stuff fit together as opposed to, da ah, whatever. So this, it stands in contrast to like the biggest thing I've heard is like the Star Trek expanded universe. I don't know if that's a term for it, but where they, people just were writing whatever they want. And there's some twisted way that you can connect them all through like crazy retcons and time travel and alternate timelines or whatever. I showed you that. We have that chart we posted one time, I think, for our Star Trek episode mm-hmm. that's just bonkers. None of that. This is all canon. <laughs> it was all canon. It was all canon, yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, one linear thing, no side tangents. I mean, there was non-canon things, but for the most part, everything that came out, was tr- it was tempted to be slotted into this greater order. And there was an order, so they had a hierarchy of canon established. So, I don't, and this was like an official from like the people, I don't know what the arm of Lucasfilms that like handled the licensing, but there was a group of people that this is their job, you know, to make sure all these books lined up and hand out the divvy out the writing responsibilities. So there was there was five levels. G level canon. Guess what G stands for? Uh George. Yep. So Oh god damn it. That was a joke. <laughs> no, anything from Lucas, aka the movies. And that was top level of canon. So these are sort of in descending things. Like if something in the next, like something in the highest tier uh contradicted something below it, then that was taken as canon. Next level was T-level, so that was like TV, but basically just, is this the Clone Wars cartoon that recently wrapped up? Then C-level, which is kind of all this stuff, books, comics, games, generally in that order, like a sub-order. Books trumped comics, books and comics trumped games, etc. S-level, all this shit doesn't fit, but might have been relevant at some point, like a role-playing game, you know, source book or something like that, that (laughs) if it doesn't contradict anything, sure, throw it in, but don't take it too seriously. And then there's like the end level, which was just the obviously non-canon stuff like Star Wars Angry Birds and, you know, sure, stupid stuff. So or like kids books, that kind of stuff. Now, this isn't to say that the this stuff never contradicted anything inside itself or that there weren't retcons. The prequels forced some really uncomfortable retcons on this established universe, namely about like how long ago the Clone Wars happened huh. and Boba Fett's backstory which had sort of been not entirely filled in, but had some things done to it. And it's like, well, that's all thrown out the window because he's a goddamn clone for some reason. So so in relation to episode four, in the original pre-prequel canon, when did the Clone Wars take place? Um, I believe that it was supposed to be like 40 or 50 years earlier. And that the only date that was given, so this is kind of interesting. So like prior to the prequels coming out, anything pre a new hope was basically off limits. Like there uh-huh. was no, I mean, there's some stuff like that book I showed you, like there's like some pulpy Han Solo and Lando Calrissian stuff, you know, just like them on adventures, but anything major was just like, you weren't allowed to touch it because like, you know, I guess the prequels were coming at some point. And the really only thing we have is like in the Thrawn trilogies, we'll talk about Zahn makes a reference to like, Oh, you know, the Clone Wars being 40 or 50 years ago because he just gauged that like, well, Obi-Wan was supposed to be a general and he looked about 70 or 80 in this movie. So, mm-hmm. eh, you know, that sounds about right. Um, the fact that Revenge of the Sith only takes place 19 years before A New Hope was a lot more of an accelerated timeline than 
you know, people expected it to be. I think. Got it. Got it. So things generally fit together pretty nicely. I mean, when I was a kid or even a young adult, I was always trawling the Star Wars EU forums, you know, the good stuff, pre-Reddit days. And I was, uh, the, the biggest debates I saw, you know, canon debates were the official name and size of Super Star Destroyers, <laughs> uh, which apparently the true name for a Star Destroyer is a Star Dreadnought, but that's lame. And there was like five different camps of how big a, star, a Super Star Destroyer was. <laughs> and then the other one was how big was the Grand Army of the Republic, the clone army from the prequels? Um, because one author took it upon herself to say there were only three million clones made. Hmm. And everyone's like, three million? That's it? That seemed absurd. Like, how? There's a whole, this is a galactic wide conflict. How, I mean, there was more people in the mil in military and Earth militaries fighting in wars. Like, so that got into some messy business. But so you can see that was kind of the debates. That was the stuff. Like, that was the minor things that had to be taken that people could fight about. So everything else pretty much stayed in line. I have to say one thing. To say that mm -hmm. Disney can't entirely be blamed for the destruction of the EU. Why not? Because the Clone Wars TV show had already started to overstep its bounds a little bit and blatantly wreck some pretty... We're not talking about numbers or ages that can kind of be fudged. Like the, the retcon for the Clone Wars dates is like, oh, they're using a different calendar. Fine. Like, mm. who cares? It's an offhand reference. But now we're talking about entire planets, uh, which were looked different or... So the big example was the Mandalorians. Uh, there was a lot of work done with this later in the in the EU by this one author, Karen Travis. She kind of developed their culture and a language and was the first real like strong world building in Star Wars in, in that way anyway, that intense way. And then the clone and like she had like, you know, they were like kind of a nomadic individualist on their very temperate, typical planet. And then the Clone Wars came and said, no, no, Mandalore, actually, it's this ice planet and they're all pacifists. You know, it just completely did not fit. So it really, st the threads were already starting to unravel as, I guess, the Clone Wars and the people, you know, you know how these studios are designed. They're not all in, in conversation with one another, started to step on each other. And also, you know, maybe there were some quality issues. Mm -hmm. But maybe we'll get there. What do you think so far? I mean, I, I think the different levels of canon was, is very interesting. Um, and the way that like, in order to navigate this, they basically had to give the fans a guide of just like, here are your rules of thumb for, you know, what to think, so what to, who to trust when there's a conflict. Um, I mean, that's pretty fascinating. Um, I would argue that there's a level of canon higher than G canon, um, which I'm going to call p canon for park canon which means the only <laughs> things that are true are the things that are in movies with numbers higher than four but <laughs> that's fair enough i guess well, that's gonna close. come in, that's gonna be important to understand when in a couple weeks when we get into my revised canon for star wars yeah i'm sure so yeah, people have, you know, their own headcanon and they'll talk about like, oh, in my headcanon, that doesn't exist. And you start to, you know, I think that, I think, like I said, I think the canon's a lot of fun for me because sometimes it's fun to try and make some of the weird things fit. It's also fun because, I don't know, it feels like you're investing in this world and it adds a little bit of, I don't know, stakes to it. I don't know what to say, because if, like, if you don't, you can't just say, I didn't like that, that didn't happen. Because to me, it did happen. Well, and the feeling that there is, that the world is complete in some way. I'm sure adds to the adventure of exploring it, 
knowing that somewhere out there, there is a map of this entire plot and world and everything is, you know, when you feel like it's being made up as, as you go along, you're not as interested in seeing where it goes, right? But when you feel like there's a master plan and that there are rules and that they are working towards building out this large scale story, as opposed to just throwing whatever they want in, um, that makes you feel like it's worth investing in, I think. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And just for me, even watching, you know, we watched the movies many, many times as a child. And every time I watched them, even if it was stuff not totally related, I felt like my viewing experience was was elevated because now it's like, oh, I know what that guy's thinking over there. You know, you get, <laughs> you know, you get to fill in all the gaps of some of the things and you kind of know, especially some of those, these, there's these books, I mentioned them before in the podcast called the Tales of Books, the Tales of Moss Eisley Cantina, the Tales of Jabba's Palace, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. And basically just pick every single weird looking alien on the screen at those times that were just, you know, sketches by some random guy and then made into right. paper mache or whatever. So some random, random crap we had in the, in the costume department thrown together and like, I don't know, I've got like an old cosmonaut uniform and this lizard mask. Sure. <laughs> fine. Whatever. Give him a name. It's done. Right. So each of those guys, you know stories or what you know they're per they're or seeing the movie take place from their perspective and what they're thinking and seeing i don't know i just really enjoy playing with perspectives so that was always a lot of fun for me even that i mean especially when it comes to the prequels there's a lot of the books where it's just like the best one i always talk about is in the third in revenge of the sith during the order 66 scene when all the jedi are being killed mm -hmm. it's like i had read books and books about each of those characters so that was a huh. much more poignant scene for me. It was just like, oh, no, he's killing him. Oh, God, it's happening. You know, especially with um, this is probably stretching your your memory or even your interest. But remember the and uh, like the really weird looking planet. It's called Fallujah. It's like not Fallujah, Fallujah, <laughs> close to Fallujah. <laughs> Very different than Fallujah, I'm sure, though. But it had like the big big plants big flowers are super psychedelic it was a setting did you play oh uh, yep where he where where obi-wan rode a lizard around no that was Utapau. but did you play the force <laughs> unleashed yes i did so it, you, you played on that map there it was like kind of like big fungus looking thing oh okay gotcha yep. yeah anyway so in that scene there's like the the blue twi'lek girl she's the one with the head tails mm -hmm. she's a jedi and she gets killed by those clone troopers there and she was actually in a relationship with like the commander of that clone troop so it's like oh man he just killed his girlfriend like that's brutal so that's what i mean about sort of like elevating random stuff which star wars has a lot of random stuff kind of thrown in it it was always a little bit fun to fill those gaps in for me hmm. so let's give a brief history shall we okay so up until so not, we're gonna, i'm gonna talk about a few crucial years first one being 1991 up until 1991, there wasn't a lot done. There was some stuff published, you know, when the movies were out in like the 77 to 83 range. Some of these little mm -hmm. Han Solo and Ocarizian books. There was a book called Splinter the Mind's Eye, which was written by Alan Dean Foster, who Shadow wrote the novelizations of the books or the movies, I should say, mm -hmm. um, which is a really weird book. because It was like written before Empire Strikes Back and like Luke and Leia kind of like there's just some. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about this. Yeah, there's a scene where she like gets in a they like, get in some sort of fight and she's like all her clothes are all ripped up and she's like in the mud and it's the 70s you know this is pulpy stuff and Luke's kind of like ogling her and you're just like mm, gross. 
uh, you know, and there was like those weird Ewok movies. Do you ever see those? I, I did. They used to be on, I feel like they used to be on the Disney Channel back in the very early days of the Disney Channel. Um, back when, and I remember watching them in Delaware, which means this would have been like pre-1993. Yeah, they came out like the mid-late 80s. Yeah, yeah. They're funny. They're, they're something else. Uh, very interesting. Very weird. But, you know, there was some, like, role-playing stuff and some radio dramas, but then it went pretty dormant for a while, like, probably post, like, 86. Just nothing really happened, and, you know, Star Wars was still popular, but it sort of had, is moving on to other things, right? But in 1981, Timothy Zahn released Heir to the Empire, which is the first book in the Thrawn trilogy, and sort of, like, the first attempt to really take a serious stab at making a new Star Wars story, and also the first kind of step in beginning a new running story, especially having it be a trilogy of decent sized novels. I mean, most Star Wars books aren't like Oathbringer size or not 12, 1300 pages. They're usually, you know, typical genre pulp fiction, 300 yeah. to 500, whatever. So, and it, it starts what a lot of people are now calling the Star Wars Renaissance. Because a lot of people attribute sort of the long-term sustained success and even the, the creation of the prequels, for better or worse, on mm -hmm. like the fact that this expanded universe existed and kept people's Kept like the deep, the deep nerd culture interested in Star Wars, and which helped keep popular culture interested in Star Wars. Not sure I agree with that hypothesis 100%, but people, people say it. So I assume you've heard of the Thrawn trilogy before, right? Yeah, yeah. It uh, so we'll just brief, brief rundown. It picks up about five years after Return of the Jedi, or nine years ABY after Battle of Yavin. That's the <laughs> standard way of counting years and time in the Star Wars expanded universe. And the Battle of Yavin is the attack on the Death Star that we see in Episode 4. Yep, yep, the destruction of the first Death Star. So, at this point, five years later, Han and Leia are married. The Empire has been pushed back to roughly a quarter of the galaxy, you know, the fringes of the galaxy. Kind of like how we see Force Awakens start off. Mm -hmm. uh, and the New Republic reigns supreme. Um, but this goes into, you know, the book is about, uh, this book follows... Grand Admiral Admiral Thrawn, that blue guy, blue guy with red eyes, uh, the last Grand Admiral, uh, and his surprise attack on the New Republic and how he basically brings it to its knees. Um, I mean, our, our heroes emerge victorious, obviously, but it's really good. It has a lot of twists and turns, and you see these books on a lot of like top one hundred sci fi fantasy lists, you know, just because probably people feel like obligated to throw a Star Wars book on there. Mm -hmm. But it is a lot of fun. It captures. I think it really follows like that. It mimics. The trilogy setup of the first three without being like without aping them like force awakens mm -hmm. did where you know the second book is like oh shit really goes down in this book but then you know there's a lot of really interesting triumphant stuff and thrawn is such a compelling villain because he's not like he is the hero of his own story and he's smart and he's not callous in the way that like vader or palpatine are there's like killing people left and right because they don't care and he doesn't rule by intimidation he rules by being effective hmm. so it's a, it's a different kind of take on it and had the pleasure of meeting Timothy Zahn once, and he's a he's a really nice guy. So, um, really like Star Wars, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. Also, the kind of guy who has three watches on his wrist, one of them being a calculator watch. So, eh. What? Okay, <laughs> sure, fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull up that thread. <laughs> so, but the other reason that 1991 is important, and this is often ignored, but I think equally integral, is that this is the year that Dark Horse Comics took over the Star Wars license. Because before this, Marvel had had this, the Star Wars comics license. You've probably seen some of the goofy 
panels or covers from like, you know, super 80s style Star Wars Marvel comics that are mm-hmm. pretty low on that canon totem pool because they're just kind of silly. But and they also pretty much entirely take place, I think, like between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I don't think they move forward in the story much. Yeah, I think you're right. So Dark Horse takes over and they publish a comic called Dark Empire. So Dark Empire takes a place takes place about a year later. Uh, so for those keeping track, 10 ABY. Uh, it's probably one of the more controversial Star Wars stories. So I sent you some panels from this, two of them. <laughs> um, people are really divisive about the art style because it's pretty, it's like, it's a very weird palette. It's like blues and yellows and greens. And some of it is kind of like, pretty realistic looking and other some of it's part of some of the people are very abstract it's very blocky it's very dark i kind of like the the art that that i'm seeing here um kind of the big swaths of shadow and then the really bright garish light and this kind of high contrast actually reminds me a lot of mike mcnola so that's always going to be uh a good thing for me but um this one panel you've sent me um that looks like Luke Skywalker fighting someone in a lightsaber duel. Uh, I think the art's actually very compelling. You want to take a stab at who that person Luke Skywalker is fighting in this panel? Look, I'm going to guess it's a clone of Emperor Palpatine. You are 100% correct. (laughs) Look, I have a base knowledge of some of the bullshit that y'all got up to in this extended universe. Gotcha. Yeah, so most controversial thing is that Emperor Palpatine returns in this this Dark Empire Empire 2 and follow-up called empire's end and obviously people are like that's the lamest thing ever (laughs) to just bring back a villain but as you sort of get to understand palpatine it kind of to me it always kind of made a lot of sense like if this course this guy would have a backup plan he's like the master manipulator of everything always like he wouldn't just let himself be so vulnerable you know on the other hand it completely kind of eliminates the sacrifice and the ending of return of the jedi yeah um yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about uh, just kind of, you know, yeah, rebooting the ending of of Jedi and just be like, nah. What if you got that duel between them after all? Yeah, and the the way the the reason that a lot of people really dislike it is because not only does Emperor Palpatine return and he has a number of clone bodies, so he keeps coming back until they basically wreck the cloning facility that he's at and then destroy his soul. Or something, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. But Luke becomes his apprentice to try and take him down from within, or something. It's been a while since I read it, but <laughs> and it, it's it's implied that Luke basically falls to the dark side in this for a, a brief time. And a lot of people are like, "That's not okay." Luke Skywalker does not fall to the dark side. That's the fucking point. Huh. So in this series, at least stories, at least uh, you know, Leia is the one who brings him back and redeems him, and then together they destroy Palpatine. So in some ways it brings things full circle. Um, but a lot of people tend to ignore this story. So, but I think this is important because these are two really crucial, big stories that came out in the same year in two different mediums that we sparked this interest in more star Wars stories from here out. The books and comics came in droves almost entirely populated. And we would call like the new Republic era era, which stretches roughly from the end of return of the Jedi to about 25 years, 25 ABY or, you know, 21 years after Return of the Jedi. And then, uh, you know, there were some comics that took place very early in the canon. We're talking like 25,000 years BBY. (laughs) You know, like really, really like the beginning of the Republic and the beginning of the Jedi Orders and different things like that. And that's starting to be explored more recently. But 
there wasn't much else done. Like everything was relegated to what I call a sequel era. I, I, books would just come out one after another and continue the story as opposed to trying to fill in gaps. And, you know, some of it's okay. Some of it's bad. It was a weird time. <laughs> so the next crucial year is 1999. What happened in 1999, Greg? If memory serves, that's when um, the first prequel came out. That's correct. So obviously this changed, kind of changed the changed the map, changed the scale of what people could do, had to make some things fit differently. It also then opened up the road for EU stuff surrounding the prequels. We start getting books set in the era people call the Rise of the Empire, which technically runs to a, from 1000 BBY to, uh, you know, obviously up till A New Hope. But obviously the most stuff we care about and see is in like the 30 years or so before episode four. Mm-hmm. There's also another really important thing that happened in 1999, which was uh, the license shifted. So before from, you know, 91 to 99, Star Wars books were published by Bantam Publishing Company. In 1989, this, the, the, I guess for some reason, I don't know why a company would not hold the rights to Star Wars books, <laughs> but Delray, another big publishing company, took over. And it seems like this really signaled a big shift in how Star Wars books were approached in a lot of ways. The biggest being that while, of course, we started to go back in and fill things around the prequels as they continue to come out and we get side stories about Obi-Wan and Anakin or Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon or whatever, Darth Maul, typical bullshit like that. We also got <laughs> sort of a, a, a refresh start on post-Return of the Jedi novels, which we call the New Jedi Order era. And there's a series called the New Jedi Order, which was a 19-book series. <laughs> wow. Uh, which focused on extragalactic invaders called the Yuuzhan Vong, who worship pain and torture. Ugh, God and damn it. use only biological machinations to accomplish all of their technology. So they have no metal... No robots, no droids, no vision, no no combustion. It's all animals, living things. So what, do they just jump off of planets? <laughs> uh, I'll explain some mechanics if you're interested. Okay. Um, and all living things. And they, they actually find technology to be like, it's against their religion. It's it's abhorrent. There was some weird, like, I don't know. They're very like religious cult. So it's, it was like the early 2000s and it was kind of a little uncomfortable points, but... I don't think the parallels are trying to be drawn that hard to real, real world things, but maybe they were there. So this started with a book called Vector Prime, which isn't a particularly good book in my opinion, but it was written by R.A. Salvatore, which was kind of a big deal because he's a pretty big genre fiction yes, author. Yes, he, he wrote a whole bunch of the um, Dungeons and Dragons fiction, right? Yeah, like the Drift series and all that. So I mean, he's a he's a big name, especially this time. He was like, top of the tier, you know, I wouldn't say like pure fantasy or, or we might call high fantasy, like a Martin or something like that, or a Jordan. But when it came to licensed stuff, he was, he was cream of the crop. I don't think he wrote a good book. I don't think he got how to write Star Wars. <laughs> but anyway, this book was really important because it started this series and it also had sort of the biggest thing to occur in the books to this point, which was the death of Chewbacca. <laughs> now let's go back to me for a second, Greg. Okay. Here's, how old are you in sixth grade? How Ten. old? Uh, in sixth grade? Uh, no, I would say more, probably more like 12 or 13, right? Sounds about right. So it was been, so it was like nine, I guess it was 99. So I would have been, I would have been 10 or 11. No, 10. So I can do math. Trust me. <laughs> so here's, here's me, 10 or 11 year old, little Andrew, sitting in SSR, sustained silent reading, 
Oh, after man, lunch. I remember that. You remember that? 15 yeah. minutes every day after recess? I always looked yeah. I always looked forward to SSR when I looked forward to recess, but that's the kind of kid I was. Yeah. Uh, and then Chewbacca dies. So there I am, head in, head in hands, crying my eyes out, because that's the kind of kid I oh, was. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, so sad. But yeah, so Whoops. allegedly this was supposed to be Luke, but Lucas vetoed it. Uh-huh. Probably was a good thing. But you say Chewbacca was easily eliminated because hmm, in a lot of ways, it's hard to write Chewbacca in books because either you make him go like, you know, and write it out like that. And then you have Han translate, which is cumbersome. Yeah. Or you make it. There's some books decided to put like his dialogue in brackets, which also felt a little weird because like you're getting Chewbacca talking in prose, which also seems strange. Yeah. Uh, also, he's pretty much relegated to babysitter for like the last 10 years because he just basically helped take care of the kids and like protected them from stuff because his you know life debt extended to the whole family or whatever and obviously at this point they're beyond having a life debt because they're just best buddies part of the family uh which always kind of looking back as like an older person like the role of chewbacca is a little bit weird in star wars it's like he's like they sometimes treat him like an animal and sometimes treat him like a person <laughs> and it's always kind of all over the place it's very weird but obviously a pretty big deal for for Star Wars at the time, because there really hadn't been any major, you know, character deaths. Like maybe one of the generals you saw on screen during the briefing at the de second Death Star fight, whatever, died. But, you know, these books don't want to kill off any of the main characters. That's how they make their money. Right. So this started this 19 book series. It was pretty momentous, but also pretty controversial. Some people said it was way too dark for Star Wars. And, you know, the quality was definitely varied over the series because we're talking about 19 books stretched across 11 different authors. Yeah. So some authors have their favorites and some authors get how to write Luke or Han and some don't. And so you get some inconsistencies in there. Uh, but it was also fun for me because I you know, was really actively reading books at this point and a new book would come out every like four months or so. So I would read, you know, I'd go to the store, buy the book, come home and read it in a week or so. And then I'd go back and start reading back catalog books that I hadn't read prior and then the next book would come out and that was life you know for four or five years I guess so you want to you want to talk about the Yuzan Vong a little bit so you seem uh, interested <laughs> I mean I I've I've been I've been paging through a uh, Google image search for these bros and this is the most like late 90s early 2000s like comic book style villain that i have oh boy i mean so if you take equal parts cenobites from hellraiser <laughs> and the borg from star trek and put a lot of tribal tattoos on their face um and give them just like that and also like some of the some of the orcs in the lord of the rings movies where they're just like needlessly ugly with little like piggy skull noses and sharp pointy ears oh man these guys are a mess yeah uh also one of the points i forgot to mention is that they were they were absent from the force they existed outside the force well that's convenient so and it's, it's described as like they're not from this galaxy so i mean then there's a reason for this explained you know down the way uh essentially they were stripped of the force by something at some point but <laughs> I, I really liked it because they were just so different. A lot of the Bantam era books, you know, those like 91, 99, it's just like 
some ex or current Imperials found another super weapon or has some sort of scheme that needs to be stopped. And guess what? They're going to stop them. Yeah. And I mean, I, the idea of bringing in a new big bad is not the wrong idea. But, you know, if, if, it, if you were thinking like, oh, man, you know, Star Wars, it's the rebels versus the Empire and the Empire just like so cartoonishly villainous with their big black robes and their um, Nazi uniforms. The answer is not to be like, yeah, but what if we just made them look 10 times more evil and just <laughs> made them look like the badass, like demon that some 13 year old drew on their notebook. It's just, Oh, and there's bits of, like, they also kind of look like the predator man. It's just such a like, why not have it just be like another faction of humans who like are a third party to the rebel empire situation instead of these like aliens who are just the most one dimensional, just generic evil looking Oh boy. I get the feeling that, and I don't know if this is, you know, the hundred percent written law, but I, I get the feeling that that Sith were off limits hmm. because there are no Sith in Star Wars books for a long until well after the prequels came out because hmm. it's a, it's sort of there's a distinction made at least in the old Star Wars view that there there are Sith and then there are like dark force users like bad people use the force and then Sith is like its own separate thing like also dark force users but they are you know it's a different cult it's a different religion just like you can be a force user but not be a Jedi kind of that same kind of that kind of thing so I think it was and the Empire was consistently the bad guy but I think it's 18, 19 BB, ABY that the New Republic and the Empire sign a peace treaty. And the Empire just has a little segment of the galaxy off in its own place and they just do their thing and the New Republic has like 80% of the galaxy and it's fine. And there's like, you know, ex-Imperials that have their own little plots, but I think it was hard to make like a consistent new villain because those that Imperial versus New Republic thread had kind of been beaten to death and the Sith weren't really a thing. So you could have some random Dark Force users come along or like other weird things like Waru. I sent you that. You like that guy? Oh boy. <laughs> the just gooey cube. Yeah, that's that's from one of the worst regarded books in Star Wars U called Crystal Star. It's so weird. It's like some sort of and Star Wars did a good job of like staying away from things that make it like can get out of hand too quickly, like parallel dimensions or realities or time travel. Um apparently this Waru was like an extra dimensional psychic being that basically just looks like if you took jello and then glued copper oval plates to it and then microwaved it <laughs> it looks like uh which is a weird villain for a series but yeah so that's kind of like the low some of the low points in the area so i like just having something different and visually the way that they just you know the way they describe their ships and the way they fight like their armor is made of crabs that like actually like is like one crab that like they get into and they're they're like weapons are snakes that they can like make stiff into like a fighting weapon or a spear or like it can bite people. Their ships are made of just like rock. They're basically just like flying asteroids that shoot out like mag lava and their shield <sighs> systems are mini black holes made by like things, which is also how they kill Chewbacca because they use a gravity well to crash a moon into a planet. Cause yeah, that's the way Chewbacca goes out a whole moon crashing on a planet <laughs> <laughs> and making them immune to the force leaves. It kind of rebalances the Jedi a little bit. Because at this point, there's like hundreds of Jedi running around again. 
And it's kind of hard to make someone uh, besides other Jedi. It's kind of hard to be like, well, well, what else do we do? You know, they're, they're really strong. They can read your mind. They can make you do things. They can feel you coming a mile away. So they make, you know, it's a little bit maybe too obvious. Like, oh, they just don't exist in the force. Right. We'll just completely nerf all the Jedi. Right. Um, but they had to do some cool stuff like technology wise to like adapt to them. And one thing they do a good job of just showing of how unprepared the galaxy was for this sort of thing, because it had been so focused in one, you know, one sort of static way of war and culture and those sort of things. So mm -hmm. good and bad in this, I think, but I, I really enjoyed it as a young, young adult. So because of some of the complaints of the New Jedi Order, mostly in the consistency, I think they tried to streamline things a little bit. Delray was still putting out books, like filling in prequel stuff and like old, like, oh, there's an extra year here. We didn't, someone didn't fill a thing, put a story in it. Right. Cause like, that's what you gotta <laughs> do. Um, but for the continued, the story moving forward, you know, after Return of the Jedi, after the New Jedi Order, they started in what they call the Legacy Era, which starts around 40 ABY. So at this point, the big three, we call them, you know, Han Lan Luke, they're pretty old, they're like in their 60s. Oh, they always make it, make it a point of saying, like, 60 is the new 40 in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> which, like, but, makes sense, you know, because it's an advanced society that has better aging. Although Obi-Wan looks, he's 52 in... Or 54 in A New Hope. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> You're right, he's not. Sorry. Um, yeah, so so timeline-wise, this is this would be kind of the timeline that we are, or the time period that we're kind of currently looking at with the latest batch of Star Wars movies. Yeah, you're you're right. Uh, you know, I was always very curious, oh, when's it going to be? And it lines up because that's how old these, you know, the main three people are and other actors from this time period. And similarly, they're children. So brief aside, Luke and or Han and Leia have twins. Or in the, They're born at the end of the Thrawn trilogy, which is sort of the big like, oh, look, you know, twins. Uh, Jason and Jaina, and then later they have a baby called uh, named Anakin. Okay. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second. And then Luke doesn't really have romantic interests for a very, he has kind of like little starts to romantic interest here and there, but he doesn't actually like get a cons a single consistent, you know, girlfriend and then wife until 20 years after Return of the Jedi. Like he's pretty much doing his own thing. And sometimes there's like hints that like he might like a girl, but then he's Luke Skywalker and bungles it and keeps going on and doing his own Jedi thing. Uh, but he, he marries, eventually marries Mara Jade, which I'm sure you've mm -hmm. heard a lot about. Yes. Um, and they have one kid named Ben, which is very confusing to the new EU since Han and Leia have a child named Ben. Yes. Yes, they do. So, uh, so, but, you know, and one thing that I want to point out that the EU struggled with was there was always this constant push, especially from this point forward for the New Jedi Order, and then in the Legacy era to pass the baton, pass the torch, mm -hmm. let Luke and Leia and Han retire and let their kids and their kids' friends and other characters keep up the story. And they just could never quite do it. They tried a lot of times. They tried really hard. You know, Jason is the big hero of the New Jedi Order. He emerges it. Anakin dies, uh, the third solo child in the New yeah. Jedi Order. Um, allegedly, it was supposed to be Jason, but George Lucas said, having two people named Anakin is too confusing. Kill that character. <laughs> Which, like, sounds ridiculous, but I'm like, yep, that sounds like a George Lucas decision. You know, you almost start to wonder if George Lucas's name on the original Star Wars movies is something like it was actually Steven Spielberg making those movies, but for some real weird like director's guild thing, he let his friend George put his name on it. 
and they've been keeping that secret ever since. Like he's like, no, just let George have this. He he thinks he did such a good job. Like it's just it's fine. It's just because you 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 hear about these things that he has done since, and you've seen you see the movies that George Lucas has made since, and you're like, how did you get even one minute of good film in episode four? And then yeah, his kill this kid because people get confused about the names. Oh my yeah. god! So meanwhile, meanwhile, my movie which has a planet called Tatooine and a planet called Dantooine, totally fine. <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, that's a rumor. Not sure if it's true or not, but it sounds true. It sounds, it sounds like it's true. So anyway, this legacy era, they start doing a more kind of rigid style. So their their pattern was nine books, three authors, and they alternate. So it was huh. like this. And then it was like a tight kind of tight story arc, as tight as a nine story arc, nine book story arc can be, I guess. And they'd say, okay, you three authors are some of the best Star Wars authors that we have that want to do it. You know, you each have strengths and weaknesses. We're going to have you publish. You know alternating pattern so so it's not a situation where so there's nine books three trilogies each author takes one trilogy it's author a gets book one author b gets book two author c gets book three and then back to author a for four um that's interesting yeah but i guess that lets them basically really crank these things out because you know, you basically have the first three books are essentially being written simultaneously. Right. It's kind of probably kind of like what, what, you know, video games, big video games that have yearly releases like Call of Duty or up until recently Assassin's Creed, you would have two studios working on them. So they could be essentially takes two years to make the game. So one studio, you know, releases on the even years, the other studio releases on the odd years. Um, no, pretty smart, I think. Yeah. And then like it helped with some consistency, you know, how you kind of got in a rhythm a little bit. So they did it for two series. The first one called Legacy of the Force, the second called Fate of the Jedi. Um, both of these have mixed responses. Legacy of the Force deals with Jason's fall to the dark side and the first real revival of the Sith. He declares himself the Lord of the Sith and, you know, long story short, ends up being put down by his sister. So it's a pretty... He does some pretty shitty things, like killing Luke's wife, which, by the way, would not recommend. Luke Skywalker is not a person <laughs> at this point in the canon that you want to piss off because he is like a god. <laughs> he is so good at the Force. Um, but Fated Jedi gets into some weird Force stuff and starts to almost start to over-explain some things in the Force, which I'm sure you would hate very much. So, it also connects it to the Clone Wars in some way. It's just like, ugh, why? Don't Force that. But interestingly, we're talking about... The daughter of Han and Leia um, being the good one and the son being the bad one. And they eventually have a showdown. This looks a lot like the shape that the current trilogy is taking, even though they're being they're really trying to act like we don't all know that Ray is uh, is another solo child. Yeah, it does um, sound a little familiar, doesn't it? So that's interesting. I mean, truthfully, there's only so many different shapes this story can take if you're going to follow some of the themes from the, you know, kind of the source work. But uh, keep telling me about this, because maybe this will be uh, some spoilers for uh, how things continue. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really interesting because you're going to hate this, but uh, J Jaina goes to, this is like a weird 
specific thing, but she goes when when Jason goes off the rails and they decide there's no hope of redeeming him. I mean, they're always hoping so because well, well, we could redeem Vader so we can redeem Jason, uh, even though he killed her, his own aunt, and you know did a lot of other really shitty things. But he he makes the mistake of killing Boba Fett's daughter, I think, in like a really brutal interrogation like scene. It's really nasty, actually. And Jaina goes to learn how to fight Jedi under Boba Fett. You like that one? Bet you don't like that no, one. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> like the fact that Boba Fett survives the Sarlacc pit. That is some bullshit nonsense. Yeah, he goes and back to And anyone would go to Boba Fett to learn anything. That guy is horrible. <laughs> right. So, anyway, uh, I'm a surprise. I think that actually... Up until this point, up until the New Jedi, the very end of the New Jedi Order, Boba Fett just like wasn't really in the books. He was in a lot of comics, like he had some like just solo comics of him just like doing bounty hunter stuff. But like they didn't really over, they could have really overused Boba Fett in this time period because he's like the badass bounty hunter that everyone wants to be, you know. And they just didn't, which is weird to me because I think nowadays they would just cash in everything and miss, make Boba Fett like a main character, which they kind of try to do later, I guess. But um, during that Bantam era, because he he comes back in Dark Empire, so the really the first big one of the first big stories, he's he's back in it, and very unhappy about having to be in the Sarlacc pit. <sighs> Sorry, Greg. So meanwhile, there's like a ton of other books filling in the gaps. Um, comics are striking out a lot of new directions. The popularity of the Kotor games brought a renewed interest in like the pre prequel time period. Like the old, old Republic. So that's a series of role-playing games, KOTOR standing for Knights of the Old yeah, Republic, that um, were popular. I think they were on PC and I think Xbox, but Xbox, yeah. hugely popular. And those took place how long before the original trilogy? Mm, I I don't know the exact date, because when you start getting into like multiples, thousands of years, I'm like, uh, it's just a really long time ago. But it's thousands and thousands of years. It's like 10,000 years, years yeah. maybe before the prequels or the, you know, the, the main movies. Um, I know that the big sort of date is like a thousand years before the prequels is when the Sith go underground and are basically like non-existent to the eyes of the world and, you know, the Jedi. They say mm -hmm. in the prequels, the Sith have been extinct for a thousand years. So mm -hmm. it's before that because the Sith were not extinct and there's big galactic wars happening between Sith and Jedi or Republic. So these really, the you know, Knights of the Republic game really renewed interest in this, which had only sort of briefly been touched on before. So they brought out things like a Darth Bane trilogy, which is a lot of fun. Um, Darth Bane being the last, the guy who makes the sort of, makes the Sith go underground and makes the, what we call the rule of two, which means there can only be a master and apprentice at any given point. And that cycle continues up until, well... I don't know what the current status of that is, but and uh, there's also like nice little comics and other spinoffs, those kind of things too. Once again, varying quality. Another noteworthy development was the legacy comics that began in 2006, which take place 137 years after Battle of Yavin. So at this point, about 100 years after where the books were, huh? which is kind of a weird choice, right? Because it kind of boxes you in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the heroes we know and love are dead for the most part, and it follows an entirely new story. There's a Skywalker who's Luke's great great grandson or something like that. A new galactic civil war, a new Sith. Um, does a good job of once again sort of mimicking some of the themes and stuff, but with a lot more complexity and nuance. And uh, it's actually pretty cool overall. Hmm. Kate Skywalker is kind of a uh, like I'm a badass. Yeah, you know. I don't want to be a Jedi. I never wanted to be. I didn't want this kind of guy for a while, uh, which isn't yuck. great. 
uh, wears like a, a you know like a brown duster and uses a blaster, more of a Han Solo than a Luke Skywalker. But yuck. Meanwhile, you've got like Force Ghost Luke Skywalker constantly. I mean, like, dude, come on, like, there's <laughs> shit going on, like, get through it. But it does a good job of like kind of collating good stuff from the EU and kind of connecting a lot of different things and making a really consistent story mm-hmm. without all having a million other books going on at the same time or whatever. So kind of a weird, weird decision, but I really enjoyed it. And then that pretty much brings us to D-Day, a.k.a. Disney Day. <laughs> uh, when all this is cut off, Dark Horse was allowed to finish a few runs on some things, but obviously Star Wars would now be published by Marvel. <laughs> Uh, the rights to the novel stuck with Del Rye, but they started using the Legends imprint. They're still reprinting these books because people like them. Sure. They just have Legends printed on the front to, you know, to distinguish what's old EU and what I call new EU or new EU or something. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say I wasn't bummed when this happened. Yeah. I was excited for more Star Wars, but having all that, not work, but investment of time and knowledge and everything i like all the characters especially all like you know because i you know the main characters are fine but i really was more interested in a lot of the other secondary characters that were established in books and comics that i really liked following and that was all gone now so you didn't feel you know by the time that disney wiped the slate clean essentially you didn't feel like the extended canon had gotten unwieldy at all the only thing that i felt was really out of control was the Clone Wars cartoon show hmm. because that was the only thing that was wrecking the rest of the canon. How so? Well, I explained to you that, like the Mandalorian thing. Mm-hmm. When you have, I mean, and this is a really kind of famous situation. So Karen Travis is the author that wrote the series called Republic Commando and then right. Imperial Commando. We talked about this before. She invested a lot of time and energy into this and she's a pretty divisive author, but a lot of people really liked her. I being in that camp, they really liked her. And when the Clone Wars came out and did this, she said she walked. Right, right, she right. She was right. in the middle of a series and said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I was pretty much like, fuck this. Like, that really pissed me off. And because I really like, you know, I wanted to see the end of that series. And I just didn't think I felt to me like in typical Star Wars fashion, selling toys had overwritten, you know. Right. Well, a, a greater sense of story. And I think that there there was a shift it was very clear that the prequels and the cartoons that came after them and the everything around them was designed to, and this was, I believe, George Lucas's fatal mistake, was the idea of, I'm going to sell Star Wars to kids again, and I'm going to make Star Wars a thing for children. And that wasn't just a decision that influenced the way that the prequels were made, but that influenced all the decisions for the Star Wars property going forward until Disney took over. And, you know, because again, like you say, like the Clone Wars stuff was very clearly like they were trying to sell toys and they were trying to, you know, probably bring it more in line with the tone and feel of the prequels. And that's probably what was alienating for you. And also... Not just, I, I think, probably a shift in tone, but by basically saying, like, no, 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 we're going to do it this way. They're basically saying, screw you people who are into this and have been into it forever. We're trying to reset this for a younger audience, and we're going to do what we have to do to make that work. And resetting it for a younger audience, clearly because we think there's more money there than in making Star Wars for 
the Gregs and Andrews of the world. And they're not wrong. I mean, Star Wars that appeals to a kid is going to make more money on the merchandising and the things that matter than the Star Wars that you and I like. But it seems like now Disney is writing the ship and taking it a little bit more back towards more of a fun-for-all-ages type thing as opposed to dumb cartoon show for babies, which is kind of where George Lucas was taking it. Yeah, and it's hard because, I mean, I've heard from people who watched it, you know, friends of mine and stuff, that there's actually a lot of good stuff in the Clone Wars cartoon. Like, there were some, especially later on in the seasons and things, there were some really cool storylines, and they did some neat things. But I do think that uh, you're right in your assessment. There were some other things that were starting to wear on me. Um, they were struggling to jettison the old generation. Like, they kept saying, like, we're going to have, you know, the kids take over now. We're going to have the kids take over now. And you, after 30 books of saying that and they still really haven't, it's kind of like, well, is this ever going to happen? There was a single single book. It was the last book published before Disney came in called Crucible. And it was supposed to be like the true send off of the big <laughs> three. And I didn't I didn't read it because I heard it was not very good. And at that point it had been released. And then they announced the canon thing. And I didn't have the heart to go and read this book. Um <laughs> You know, I, I was excited to see some things were happening. There were some other things I didn't like. They were starting to dip into some areas that were like, didn't feel Star Wars-y to me and started to get a little bit scary. Like one of the things that Jason Solo does in sort of his, the way that Jason comes to the dark side is in the New Jedi Order, there's a really famous book, which is a really good book called Traitor. And he gets captured by the enemy and gets put in what they call the Embrace of Pain, which is just this like torture device that's supposed to bring enlightenment to them. And he gets taught by this creature that he finds out is an ex-Jedi that there is no light and dark side of the Force. Basically, you know, philosophy 101, no right or wrong. But as like an 11-year-old, I was like, my mind was like blown. I was like, what? There's no light and dark side? It was so cool. And he starts talking about this thing called the unifying Force. And But then basically they just sort of shifted again and said, nah, actually that guy was a Sith and Jason was wrong and now he's, now he's evil. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay, great. But he he goes and learns a bunch of other Force things from other non-Jedi, non-Sith cultures and groups around the galaxy, which is kind of fun. But one of them is like this weird, like almost time travel. I'm like, don't do that. That's a really bad idea. Yeah. Don't do that. And then later on, and they don't, they don't really, it's like more of like a shadow of like seeing the past, but like he, like almost like trying to think of the, um, it's very similar to Bran and Hodor is what it is a lot like. Okay. And, you know, like in that scene in, song, in Game of right. Thrones where like he sort of influences the past and you're right. like, uh-oh, but that's only a little in a, scary. In a very oblique, indirect kind of way. Right. It's not Star Trek time travel. Yeah, which is probably good. Star Wars does not need to go down that road. They're convoluted no. enough. So how does Luke Skywalker die in the EU? We don't know. Because so we just we have that time skip to 137 years or whatever you said, and we know he's dead, but we, it's never really revealed how. Correct. Yeah. Same huh. for same for everybody for huh. Han, Leia, Lando. We just never got there. I think it would have happened at some point. It would have been. I was kind of interested to see that transition occur, and sort of the state of the galaxy at in the legacy comics implies some very interesting things about what happened in that time period that we were starting to see the build up for towards the end of the books, towards the end of the Fate of the Jedi series. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know how I thought about like knowing the ending kind of, you know, it's like, well, we know this is coming and like, yeah, you're constantly looking for, well, 
at some point, Jaina and this guy are going to have to hook up because clearly, clearly this is their kids. Like I know it, or their kids, kids, kids or whatever. Right. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that I do think, I think unwieldy isn't the right word because they did a good job of keeping things pretty consistent, but it was just, I think they were starting to run out of ideas a little bit. Fair. And I mean, it'll be published a lot of stuff. I mean, there's probably, I think there's 130 or 140 old EU adult novels. Oof. That's different from, separate from comics, which there's a ton of, and not quite as many, but some like more young adult level readers, but not many. There's maybe 20 of those at mm-hmm. most. Um, so that's basically the historical rundown. Do you have other questions about plot points or plot details you've always wondered about or heard something about and were like, what the fuck is the deal with this? I don't know. I feel like the big ones, you know, Chewbacca getting killed with a moon, um, the like super aggro, um, you know, early 2000s bad guys arriving from another galaxy. You know, I knew about that. Um, obviously, clones of Palpatine just basically hitting a reset on the series. But then again, that's what Star Trek does. Or Star Trek. That's what Star Wars does, is hit the reset button. Because we blow up a Death Star in Episode 4, and then in Episode 6, well, let's just blow up another Death Star. Um, That's what we do. So, okay, fine. You bring this guy back. Um, and, And otherwise, and Star Wars is still trying to deal with you know, the Dragon Ball problem of you set somebody up as the most powerful evil force in the galaxy, and then you beat him, and then you need to come up with another more powerful evil force that is now the most evil force in the galaxy, and come up with some cockamamie excuse for why last year we didn't know this guy was the biggest, strongest, evilest dude in the world. So, I mean, now Star Wars seems to be trying to solve that problem again in the movies, but the Yuuzhan Vong was clearly an attempt at that. More clones of Palpatine was like, well, fine. But at least then you don't have to explain away why this new big bad, the greatest evil the galaxy has ever known, um, was also completely ignored for the last three movies while we were dealing with a different uh, greatest evil the galaxy has ever known. It would be like if you made more Lord of the Rings movies and said, no, no, I know we said Sauron was the was the big bad, but believe me, turns out there's this other dude. Uh, so yeah, I, I think they're working on that and trying to fix that. But um, how does Star Wars get out of their weird cyclical rut? Good question. Yeah, and I'm worried that they're actually trying to like they're embracing a sort of cyclical rut, and it started a little bit in the old EU with Legacy, but where this idea of like the star Wars galaxy is an eternal struggle between Jedi and Sith. Ugh. And that doesn't seem fun to me. No. And that's why I like the EU. Cause it didn't do that. Like there were no Sith post, like they were tandled with Darth Vader was the last Lord of the Sith. That was it. And you know, eventually there's some stuff that's brought around, but it's not in the same, like all of a sudden there's a new empire with new Sith that have the same logo fighting some sort of similar, government that supports jedi in the same way and that's right there's like three versions of that in the old republic that they've done and then now you know then the prequels then the original trilogy and now the force awakens kind of seems to be doing it again and i just hope that they don't decide that this is what star wars is forever because what i liked about the eu was that 
it showed that despite what you said uh, what, a week or two ago about the Star Wars universe not being able to hold up and like hold a lot of different stories and, and as a fictional setting, I think that the ODU shows that it can. Hmm. I mean, yeah, there's some really shitty books that are published, yeah. but there's also some, some really good ones. And they're not all, a lot of the best ones aren't about Han, Luke, and Leia. And that's okay because it's a big place and there's a lot going on. Sure. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think the whole Jedi Sith thing is is really dull and and boring because and I mean I know that it makes for great merchandising but it's just ooh these guys use the light side of the force it's the light side so they're the good guys and they've got the blue lightsabers and then there's the bad guys who use the dark side of the force and they call themselves the dark side and they use the red lightsabers and it's just like Come on, no. I mean, the the Jedi think they're good and that they're doing the best thing for, you know, the galaxy. And the Sith, sh- nobody thinks, nobody calls themselves evil. Nobody calls themselves the dark, nobody calls themselves the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants or the Legion of Doom. Nobody does that. Um, you know, even ISIS, the most evil force in the modern day world, doesn't call them like, you know, um, uh, the pious united for evil or something like that. <laughs> like they think they're doing the, they think they're doing God's work. Um, so I don't like that conflict and I don't like, I mean, I do like the undercurrent of star Wars of, you know, not succumbing to the darker, to our darker impulses, uh, you know, towards, you know, anger and jealousy and rage and all those things. Good, fine, basic, epic myth-making type stuff, but to have the guys who do succumb to rage and impulse, like, to also have them be self-professedly evil, like, come on, no, don't do that. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that the issue of, like, can the Star Wars universe sustain smaller stories? I'm, I'm not totally convinced. What I would be interested to hear from you is, given how long the extended universe ran, how successful it was. And I understand a lot, big part of the reason it went to books was because movies are expensive to make books are by comparison free to make. So it was a way to, you know, continue to make money on star Wars without having to outlay the cost of making a new movie. Um, But do you think, is there something about star Wars that maybe works better as books than as movies? Hmm. It's an interesting question. I've never thought of it that way. Um, you know, on its surface, you'd always think of Star Wars as being a very visual thing, right? Like big ships and space battles and sword fights and things that you'd probably prefer to watch on a, on a television screen or movie screen. But I'm not sure. I, I think that there's probably parts of Star Wars that work better on the page. I think it's easier to tell. I mean, I said it's much cheaper and easier to tell smaller stories because you no, know, it doesn't even even a small story like Rogue One is a relatively small story in the grand scheme of other Star Wars movies. Still an expensive ass movie to make because special effects are expensive in a sci-fi, you know, science fantasy universe. So maybe it makes it easier to write smaller scale stories that aren't about the big guys that we want to see in the big epic conflicts from like a economic perspective, but I'm not sure there's anything particular to the Star Wars as a fictional setting that works better on the page. Hmm. No, I don't think so. 
The one because thing- because the, the the books are very movie. You know, they're pulpy books are like watching a movie in your head, right? Sure, but I think that one of the things that a book can do that a movie is going to have a hard time with is you know you're telling stories about Jedi and it's much easier to maybe not easier but you can be more effective writing things about like ooh they're having a vision of the force it's probably easier to convey on the page than it is on on screen you know whenever like even in force awakens when Ray is having some kind of vision when she touches Luke's lightsaber. Like it comes out like a muddled mess on the screen, but I can imagine on the page, you could probably convey a little bit more of the mystical spiritual things that are going on with the force. I'd say you're right, but I'll then say that the EU for the most part steered away from the mystical side of the force. Huh? It was really just like, these are the wizards that can do these things. And there were some things like some of like there's a the Jedi Academy trilogy, which is sort of like a it's written by um, Kevin J. Anderson, who did a lot of the Dune later, the later Dune books. Oh, right. Um, like there's like an ancient Sith ghost or Dark Lord of the Sith ghost that like inhabits the body of a fledgling Jedi and makes him do a bunch of terrible, st- terrible things. So so maybe some of that, but they don't really focus on the mystical side so much. There's not a lot of visions. Like there's a scene where Obi-Wan shows up to Luke. I think it's in I think it's in the Thrawn trilogy and he says, like, listen, I'm not gonna come anymore. Huh. I my my ties to this world world are fading and you're on your own. So start the Jedi again, get off your ass, see you later. So like force ghosts force ghosts aren't really a common thing in most of the EU. Uh or, you know. So I, I, I think that well you're right, I think that that wasn't the reason why. Like that wasn't wasn't an example of how the old EU did things. Hmm. I do want to talk about what the value of the old EU is, in my opinion. So obviously it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I think buried in these licensed pulpy, this licensed pulpy mess, there's some really great stories. Um, it showed what can be done, the type of world that can be created, where there's some centralization and care taken. And also when that starts to unravel, how quickly it unravels and <laughs> how angry fans get. Sure. Like I said before, if given proper treatment, I think the Star Wars is a fictional universe that can hold a lot of different stories and different kind of stories than just Jedi versus Sith or Empire versus Republic. By the end of the New Jedi Order, you know, the Imperial Remnant and the New Republic are allies and they, they stay allies for a very long time. They actually make a whole new federated government called the Galactic Alliance that has like the New Republic and the Imperial Remnant and other some other governments that exist elsewhere in the galaxy that like more of like a confederacy of, United, of states, if you will. Um you know, and there's some very military kind of sci-fi focused books. And there's some very like detective-y, like underbelly of Coruscant. They never even leave Coruscant kind of books that could be set somewhere else. And there's even like some attempts at other things. Like there's a horror series, I guess you'd call it, called uh, Death Troopers. And it's yeah. garbage. It's garbage. It was like right in like the peak of zombie mania. And they made like a oh, zombie no. Star Wars book. And it was so bad. Like so, so bad. Every book, every chapter ended with like, and then everything went black. I'm just like, stop it. It was like the worst piece of garbage I've ever read. But there's lots of really good stuff. So I wanted to talk about some standouts and shout outs, some recommendations of sure. series that I think stand out amongst the many, many things that exist in the Star Wars EU. So obviously everyone has to recommend the Thrawn trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got some weirdness, AKA, uh, you know, Star Wars got a thing for clones. I never really understood like 
it is integral to Star Wars because, you know, you hear that line, the Clone Wars, and you're like, oh, well, clones must be a thing, right? But they never show up in the movies, well, in the original movies, the idea of clones or anything about clones. Mm -hmm. So, and clones are oftentimes really easy plot devices or lazy plot devices, for lack of a better term. But there is a, a clone of Luke. <laughs> is he bad? He is bad. Of course he's bad. But it's it's not like he's like the villain in the series. It's like essentially the, the rundown is that um, there is a clone of an old Jedi who has gone mad because cloning causes madness. That's sort of like this style of cloning causes madness. It's a well-known thing. And he, he Thrawn, got a hold of Luke's hand and his lightsaber from Bespin from the Cloud City. Sure. Another thing that came back in this, you know, his lightsaber being found in the new trilogy. Um and they, this guy at the, at the climax of the book clones him and Mara Jade, who was the emperor's assassin. And his last message to her was kill Luke Skywalker. And it's in, it's like, she can't get it out of her head. It's like a compulsion almost. So she kills the evil Luke Skywalker. And then she's able to move on with her life and eventually falls in love with Luke Skywalker, but not now, but it's really cool. I, um, everyone gets their spotlight and it's just a lot, a really fun story. The X-Wing books, I've mentioned these before. These were authored by Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston. These are a lot more military, kind of like sci-fi focused. It's all about Rogue Squadron and then eventually a, series, a group of people called Wraith, Squad Wraith Squadron. Uh, the Rogue Squadron books are mostly about them capturing Coruscant. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, it's Wedge Antilles and all those guys you saw and all the people's names you heard, a hobby and, you know, whatever, like their story. And they're a lot of fun. And then Wraith Squadron is like a Black Ops kind of. I don't know how to describe it, but they're all they're all good at flying ships, but they're also each got their own little one guy's a sniper and one guy's a demolitions guy and they go in and do spec ops things. So they're a lot of fun, though, and pretty consistently good storytelling. Most of the Banamera was pretty middling. Uh, and you get some weirdness like we were talking about Crystal Star and Planet of Twilight, where like the villain is like a big like a planet full of bugs that like hmm. communicate with each other. And, you, and Leia fights a Jedi hut. Ugh. <laughs> Which is weird. Um, within the New Jedi Order, like I said, divisive, but I think that it makes for a fun story and really pushes, really breaks up the status quo for a while. The standouts are the Dark Tide, Dark Tide duology, Star by Star, the Enemy Lines duology, Traitor, and the the you know the ultra, the climax of the book called the Unifying Force. That last book is just like everything ever in Star Wars in one place, kind of like the Infinity War of you know this time period. You get to see all your favorite <laughs> characters and. And the last ditch effort to stop this extra galactic invasion that basically, uh, you know, conquered the whole galaxy, pushed all our heroes to the edge of the edge of the edge of the galaxy and killed something like I think they said 100 trillion people. Huh. So in the prequel era, I talked about this a lot. The Republic Commando series is really, really awesome. There's a lot of there's some Imperial apologism, which is a little bit weird. Hmm. Uh, Travis is on record saying she hates Jedi. So. <laughs> She kind of makes the Jedi look really bad from the perspective right. of like, which is fine. It's a different perspective. I've also talked before about Shatterpoint, which is by Matthew Stover. Uh, it's basically Heart of Darkness, but Star Wars starring Mace Windu sure. on a jungle planet, getting isolated and having to fight his way out. And then, uh, you know, I don't know if I could recommend the post New Jedi Order stuff. There's parts of the Jason Solo Fall to the Dark Side that's like really intense and really well done. And there's other parts that aren't good at all. Uh, basically the reason he goes to the dark side is because he has a vision. So to your point about visions, he has a vision of the galaxy, you know, devolving into turmoil and basically destroying itself. And he has a daughter 
at this point. And he says, I have to unite the galaxy under my iron fist to make the galaxy safe for my daughter. Huh. Not too far off from Anakin's logic at points, I guess. But it kind of removes some of like the stupid, like, uh, rage kind of like dark side taking me yeah. over more like, you know, he is the hero. Like he doesn't call himself evil. Right. He doesn't think he's using the dark side of the force. He, he knows he's saying he's a Sith, but he says the Sith are just another religion, just like any other one. And they have some useful things that I can learn from them to accomplish my goals. So I think there's some stuff in the EU that to your point, like helps break up some of that, like, ah, we're mustache twirling evil people. Cause we love evil. You mentioned we're evil. Like they don't do that anymore. Cause it, do it doesn't hold up in multiple books. So that's, I mean, that's the rundown, Greg, the canon catch up. <laughs> Oof. What do you think? I mean, it sounds relatively logical. Um, it, it sounds like if you were going to chart out a, a post return of the Jedi world for star Wars, um, this kind of makes sense. Is it necessarily the most interesting version? Mm, I don't know. Are there some weird missteps? I mean, clearly, yeah. Um, I have to say, after, you know, looking at some of the um, comic pages you sent me, um, I'm kind of intrigued by Dark Empire. It's different. It's really weird. Uh, it's got a little more of the mystical side of the Force. And there's got some pretty cool, like, so it's a lot of, like, there's some really cheesy things in Star Wars, obviously, which is kind of what Star Wars is. Like, you know, like we saw it in episode seven. It's like the Death Star, but a lot bigger. Yeah. So there's some shit like that that's not fun. Like the, uh, the, um, the Emperor Reborn, he rides around in a bigger, even bigger Star Destroyer than a Super Star Destroyer called an Eclipse Star Destroyer that has a Death Star Super Laser on the ed on the tip of it. Oh, sure. Great. Not as powerful as a regular Death Star, but... And then he also has a thing called a galaxy gun that fires missiles that go into planets and blows them up from across the side of the galaxy, which is not too different than uh, right. what they call that thing, Star Killer, Starbase, or whatever. And then he also has th these are actually cool. Um, and you actually these actually show up in the one Rogue Squadron game, which is a really weird connection. But uh, they're called World Devastators. They're basically big, like I don't know, like just big, big squares, big rectangles that like go across a planet and churn up and pull up all the organic matter and then spit out robotic TIE fighters at the top <laughs> and just go across a planet and just convert the entire planet's usable materials into, you know, droid piloted <laughs> TIE fighters, which is like, that's more a more unique one than just like, it blows things up, but bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's some cool stuff, but, and you get a lot of like the, like delve into like Han Solo's like smuggling background. They go to like, you know, gross underbelly worlds and he has to kind of work some of his contacts to figure stuff out and Boba Fett's kind of chasing him which you're not going to like but yeah no <laughs> Greg's like never mind not interested anymore <laughs> <laughs> um I did want to say that my only hope when they change over you know with the Disney buy was that they would take some things out of the EU like not just for the baby out with the bathwater and it looks like they have and for that I'm happy you know Thrawn is back and not the same exact storyline but not the same exact character but I'm just glad they're not just like, well, we can't use any of that stuff because why can't you? It's not part of, you know, just pull characters and things that you like and reinvent them a little bit. So yeah. I think they're they're doing that, which is good. I am curious to see, you know, where I was doing a little bit of reading on the new EU mm -hmm. and what's what's happened. There was a good post on io9 just recently to get prepared for Last Jedi. It's like everything that's happened between 
Return of the Jedi and Last Jedi, in case you wanted to know. Hmm. And it's weird how some of it lines up with, you know, there's some things like, ah, I definitely, we're just like, well, we've kind of got this sitting over here. Let's just take a couple notes from that and use it. But I will be curious to see how the rest of the new sequel trilogy plays out and what notes they borrow. Like if Rey is Han and Leia's daughter or if he's Luke's daughter, like how that plays out. And if there is anything truly lifted from this or it just happens to be sort of like coincidence, like you said, based on some of the themes of Star Wars. I mean, it just it seems too close, right? To to the legacy, well, maybe not legacy. I'm I might be mixing up my storylines. It just seems too close to the stuff that's already been written to not to be a coincidence. I mean, yeah, there's only so many you know so many ways you can kind of go with this, but mm, yeah, it's, seems like they're borrowing that pretty pretty heavily. There's some things that I you know I think that setting this movie so far forward, you miss out on a lot of really cool. I mean, they're, they're, it's being done in books, I guess, but you're, you miss out, on, I think, for us to see on screen some really cool things like, by skipping that much time. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think the actual, like, yeah, the Battle of Endor happened and the Empire, you know, the Emperor died, but, like, that, it's a whole galactic-spanning civilization, right? Like, doesn't mean the government just like, ah, we, we give up, see you later. Like, that right. stuff is kind of cool to me. Like, that transition was interesting to see that happen in the books. And... Even things like, there's some things I don't like that they did. Like, I really don't like that Han and Leia are kind of estranged. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Because I, you know, I am part of that's just my own headcanon of like, well, in the ODU, like they were together for 40 years right. and happy and stable. And yeah, there's other moments where they fought or whatever. But, uh, and like Luke, you know, being so not connected to anything seems weird. Yeah, well, there's I, just some things like I don't like. In, I guess you could say in comparison that I don't like. Right. With the new EU, I, I do think that though. I think we're going to get. I have a feeling that we're going to hear more about you know what Luke was up to post Return of the Jedi and his current kind of exile is going to make more sense once we have that context. Um, which is one of the reasons I'm I'm really psyched about <laughs> about this next movie is because. I've been waiting a very long time for another Luke Skywalker story and filling in the the blanks for him is something I've been looking forward to. Definitely. I mean, Luke is one of those characters that throughout the old EU is characterized a lot of different ways. And I'm interested to see what this version of Luke Skywalker is. Yeah, me too. So we finally did it, Greg. We finally did it. You, you, you caught me up on the most made up of made up, Star Wars things, and you've you've you you convinced me that some of it might actually be worth exploring when I need to scratch a particular Star Wars itch. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. It's hard for me to recommend anything because it's all super made up now. But <laughs> you know, and I don't, and people will get you know you you want to maybe if you invest your time, invest your time in this new Star Wars universe that I guess potentially is probably going to last till a long, long time from now. Disney's not going to let this thing ever stop cranking out books and comics and movies, mm-hmm. but. And it's hard to say there's so many other better. That was one of the things that changed in college. You asked me, like, I just, A, I was pretty much caught up and only reading them as they came out. Uh, so it was only once every four months. But also just like I was getting into bigger and better genre fiction. Plus in college, you don't get a lot of time to read because you're too busy reading boring things like eh. your schoolwork. But, um, but, you know, I was reading Wheel of Time. I was reading Game of Thrones. You know, this this stuff took precedent. The nice thing is, as I got better at reading, cranking through a Star Wars book every four months was like, all right, well, I just finished that and like, two days because they're like 350 pages and super easy to read <laughs> so i'd recommend that if you you know a nice beach book or in you're in the airport and instead of buying that new dean Koontz book 
Like, dig up an old <laughs> You know, the ones that are just lying around any uh, any old air, airport bookstore. <laughs> yeah, but you got a Kindle now, right? I mean, you can you can find them. <laughs> but yeah, so I would like to see you take on Iron Dark Empire. That'd be interesting. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll see if I can uh, if I can find a copy that I can read semi legally. I have a, f- a hard copy of the f- the first. Oh, I actually have the hard copy of the whole thing. Oh, wow. There you go. Maybe maybe when I come visit you, I'll bring that down. Yeah. I don't know if I've, ever, I don't know if I've, I've actually read the whole thing because <laughs> it's one of those like it's I just a like comic book. It takes a half an hour. I know, I know. I think I was like. I wasn't used to weird art comic book, so it kind of threw me sure, off. But now I'm sure. like a little more interested in that sort of thing. So anyway, I enjoy doing this a lot. It's a stroll down memory lane for me. Yeah. Thank you for humoring me <laughs> and not tearing everything apart too much. No. I, expe- I expected you to really, really rip into this. Well, you clearly, like I said earlier, you put your defenses up where I'm like, oh, well, no, I can't be too mean about how Chewbacca gets killed by a moon. <laughs> hey, man, there's no time. Uh, oh, I appreciate that. Although I'm sure I'll hear about it later. See everyone. Craig does have a heart. Uh, I'm good at at least pretending sometimes. So, um, that probably wraps it up for us here this week. Um, I think next week we're going to, well, we've got a couple, a couple year end things planned. Um, including my big, you did your big star Wars project getting me up to speed on the extended universe. And then I have my big star Wars project, which is my head cannon for the prequel movies, which will be our next big star Wars project that we will have, uh, out on the interwaves, um, before this movie comes out. Excellent. All right, guy. Well, have a good week. You too. All right. Bye.